Yo, welcome to 699 per pound podcast. You know what I'm saying? Jay Kicho back at it again. We have another amazing guest, an illustrious guest. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. Um, Jay Lee, the executive chef of Rice and Gold, right in the heart of Chinatown, 50 Bowery, man. Y'all got to check it out. But yo, man, before I go into any further details about Jay and his amazing career, man, I first met this gentleman, man, when he was like, I think he was kind of a line cook. You know what I mean? And started from the bottom without going to any of these prestigious culinary schools where motherfuckers to graduate real from gangster. that shit. Yeah, like mm. a lot of motherfuckers graduate from them joints and, you know, they never really even have a career as a chef. You know what I'm saying? Their daddies might, or mom might pay for like a restaurant and then like them shit just fucking sink. But Jay, on the other hand, you know, really started from the bottom, traveled the country. Um, and um, I know... The moment that really pivoted for him was when he uh, started working under Morimoto uh, for his ramen venture. Personal in favorite. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the, the Iron Chef God. And um, right now, man, he's the executive chef at uh, Rice and Gold, 50 Bowery, man. Amazing dishes, man. Um, y'all should, I highly encourage y'all to check out the pho soup dumplings. Oh, yeah, you know that stuff went viral. Just fucking fire. So good. Fire. But yo, man, without further ado, man, I'd like to welcome Jay Lee to the welcome. 699 per pound podcast. Welcome, Jay. Insert Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, for I, sure. I was so excited when Jakey was like, hey, my friend Jay, you know, is going to come through. He is executive chef at Rice and Gold. I'm like, do you know, th- is this planned? Like, I've eaten there like four times. Like one time I went, I think like twice in one week. It was so great. It's like my go-to place when a guest comes into town. Cause it's are like, you like, wow. are it's you stunting so- on this? Like that you, you, you have like mad disposable income to go to Rice and Gold like I know, it is a little a pricey. <laughs> I'm or worth it, you Ted know? Turner pay you it, well? It's self-care. You know I, mean? I mean, you know, I, I, I date me, I just say. You date you. <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway, unrelated. Yo, that's a gem right there. <laughs> I date me. Follow me now. Um, No, I mean, your food was so good. And it was just like, we just kind of went in on the whim. And then, you know, you I feel like you guys got a lot of great press. But it's beautiful. I mean, I feel so bad for everyone who doesn't live in New York. But hopefully you guys can experience it when you guys are here. Mm. Um, But I mean, you get get mad good. Yo, you get to stay at the hotel. Yeah. Come downstairs, eat a Jay's uh, And then go to Green Lady. And then go to Green Lady (laughs) at night. You know what I'm saying? Bong, bong. Situations. (laughs) You know what I mean? Three for one deal. You know what I mean? Oh my goodness. Man, I'm doing too much. Yo, man. Yo, 50 Bowery, y'all better pay me, man. Yo, <laughs> I I'm know. doing Sponsor too much us, for y'all. Please. Shout out, man. <laughs> Shout out. But yo, Jay, so so what's going on, man? Like, um, I think before we go into any further details, um, uh, I think we kind of need to get to know you a little better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so if you don't mind kind of breaking it down to us, like, you know, where did you grow up? Where are you from? And like, what was your childhood like? So I, I was born in Korea, uh, in Seoul. Mm. Um, I moved here when I was eight to uh, Jamaica, Queens. Wow. Uh, PS 131. Mm. Then moved to Flushing, Queens. Uh, graduated ele- elementary there and then moved to Long Island, Hicksville. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. 
but I, I didn't want to be a chef, actually. What did you want to do when you was a kid? Um, I wanted to be a, uh, a nurse. What? Wow. That's kind of interesting. Like, but because, because you know, uh, you know, we're I know we're like in our late twenties. Yeah. But I think when we were like younger as boys, like the perception then was still like, you know, as I know it sounds sexist now, but at the time, like you know, our Korean parents are not gonna be like you're a son and then you're gonna be a nurse. You know what I mean? That mm. didn't really align itself together as much. So what what made you want it to be a nurse or like well, at least have that aspiration? My friend at the time named Paul, uh-huh. uh, he was like, he was you know he was a high school friend. He's like, hey, what do you want to do? I'm like, I have no idea. He's like, yo, I'm gonna be a nurse. I'm like, why? He's like, dude, being a nurse might be easier than being a doctor. And there's a shortage of male nurses. Mm. And once you graduate and you start working, you'll make decent salary. And I was like, all right, I'm in. Oh. So I went to Hunter College, but I, uh, I failed chemistry. And it was a prereq for being a nurse. <laughs> and I called my mom so sad. I'm like, mom. I'm like, mom. My dream. My dream. That basically translates, yeah, mom, like, I try so hard, but I got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. No, it really means that. <laughs> like Park, you made that poetic right there, too. You know I mean? Oh, no. Yeah, so, I mean, to be honest, that point, I was like, I was really, really frustrated. I'm like, man, I need a future. Right. Like, this was supposed to be it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was cooking at a ramen shop, Ramen Satagaya, the original location. This is before even Ipudo was around in New York City. And we so, were, like, you were cooking there just as a part-time job? Yeah, I was working there. Well, I was working there because I had to pay rent. I moved out of my uh, my parents' house in Long Island, and my dad was like, you know, if you move out, you got to pay your own rent. Mm. Uh, I thought he was joking. He was he was so serious. Right. And I'm like, I don't. how am I going to find a job, you know? Right, right. But lo and behold, my dad's, you know, church friend owned a ramen shop, and and he got me a job. So I started working the first day of college, August 27, 2000, uh, 2007. That was my first day of uh, college and working. Mm. Oh my God. So, Have you cooked before that? I mean, I cooked lamyon at home <laughs> as a kid. That was, that was like it. Mm. I, I never cooked. My younger brother, I, I would make him cook for me and like heat up food. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's some like old Yo, school yeah. like Korean chunk <laughs> shit. Yeah. Like. And he would like hate it, but he would always do it. Yeah. Oh. You know, while I'm playing Counter Strike. Right, right, right. But that was that's like the only time I cooked. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. That's crazy. Nah, that's pretty crazy. Wait, like, so Jakey, when did you meet Jay? Like exactly? I don't remember the time when I met him exactly, but it you was You always never remember. Nah, he was probably drunk. Nah, nah, I wasn't drunk. Like <laughs> it was at a cafe though. Like I, I remember it, it was like Very maybe PG. at a cafe or maybe at a at a bar it, it was like a night nightlife situation you know what i mean it has to be either or because we have a lot of mutual friends and um jay's cousin um his name is kyungil shout out to kyungil i miss you bro yeah man <laughs> so jay's cousin kyungil like he was really active in like the nightlife world for a while so i think it was probably one of those occasions yeah the people that were involved i remember vividly was dexter mm. and rick yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we linked up. Right, Rec right. is the connective Yeah, t-shirt. yeah, nah, for sure. Rec, Rex Dizzy, a.k.a. the artist that I used to manage, a.k.a. one of the four uh, one of the four cast members in Bad Rap. You Miss know you, I mean? bro. 
But yo, so okay, going back to your story about started working at this ramen spot. Ramen spot. Spot. Um, so you have a special so yeah, relationship like, in ramen. Did you get your ass kicked? Like when you first started working over there? Uh, no, not over there. Cause it was, you know, it was so simple. It's like, cook the noodles. You set a timer. You know, the morning team preps all the all the mise en place. Mise en place is basically all the ingredients that we, that you use. Mm. Um, so I was the guy that assembled it. You know, it was easy. It was it wasn't hard. That wasn't challenging. You know, at this time, you're like, damn, I suck at chemistry, so I don't think I could be a nurse. Your mom is like, fuck, you can't be a nurse. And you're like trying to figure out what the next step is. And do you kind of like, when do you have that moment of, uh, that awakening moment that is like, yo, I think being a chef is kind of like my, my thing. Um, I think it was because that moment was when I was, you know, when I failed chemistry, I was still working at the ramen shop. Mm. And, you know, I'm working, but when I'm working, I'm not thinking about that. You know, and I'm, yeah. if it doesn't even feel like I'm working. It just feels like I'm just doing something that I like. And it hit me like one day, uh, one of the servers there, her fiance at the time was the chef at an American restaurant. So we would drink with, drink with him. I'm like, Yo, you know, I don't know what I want to do. He's like, oh, don't you enjoy cooking? I'm like, holy shit, I really do. Mm. Wow. And my girlfriend at the time, she bought me Kitchen Confidential. Oh, shit. We just talked about that. Dude, yeah. all, all connected, yo. It really did. The stars aligned. It was crazy. And when I read that book, that's the first time I read a book start to finish. The first and last. I've, mm-hmm. And I read that book like three times. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, you know, after reading that, I'm like, man, I'm inspired to become a chef. Mm. So, like, if anything, Anthony Bourdain was really like that uh that beacon of light that yeah. kind of like introduce you to the Absolutely, world of yeah. being a chef yeah, yeah. the that's original bad boy it's crazy man that's crazy so you read kitchen confidential and you're like yo damn i kind of want to be a chef now yeah got you so what part of i mean for those who haven't read kitchen confidential and doesn't really know what it's about like what about it really made you kind of excited you know, I think it's just like the crazy lifestyle that he had. It just sounded very intriguing. Not that I want to live that life, but just hearing those stories, it's like, man, he really went through some stuff, yeah. you know? And um, just him, like, overcoming, you know, his personal struggles while being a chef, it just, it was, that was inspiring to me, mm-hmm. you know? Because a lot of people think that, you know, cooking's just just about, you know, being a chef is just about food. It's, it's really not. There's a lot of other... You know, a lot of other stuff that's attached to that as well that comes with the job, so which I'm seeing a lot now. Mm-hmm. So you went from oh, uh, Setagaya, Setagaya, yeah. Setagaya, and then you went to Michaels. Like, yeah. how was that transition? Was that after you were like, I want to do something really seriously or learn a different cuisine? Yeah. Um, th- when I committed, I was like, uh, to the young that um that I met through the surfer at uh, Setagaya. I was like, yo, you know, I want to be a chef. He's like, all right. I'm like, can you, would you hire me? He's like, well, I can't really hire you. I'm like, why not? It's like, you don't know fucking nothing. <laughs> mm. I'm like, what do you mean? I, you know, I'm good at slinging noodles. He's like, no. He's like, do you know what chiffonade means? I'm like, no. Do you know what baton means? No. Well, what are those? Yeah, I don't like, know. Vocabularies, yeah. you drop a gem on them, man. Yeah, those are the only two words I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, like, 
<laughs> it's basically a type of, type of knife cut. You know? what, what is it? Chiffonade. Chiffonade. How, yeah. how do we spell that? C H I F F O N A D E. Okay, chiffonade. Chiffonade, yeah. Chiffonade. So, okay, to tell us about that. What is that? So, it's when you take a herb, like mm-hmm. cilantro, mm-hmm. and you, when you uh, slice it very thin into mm-hmm. long strands. Mm. That's what it is. Chiffonade. 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 Yeah. Next time I see a shorty in the kitchen, I'll be like, yo, What do you know about chiffonade? You know about chiffonade. What's the other one? Baton? Yeah, batons. It's basically cutting like vegetables into like little sticks, matchsticks. Oh. Yeah. So if like a chef goes like, yo, I need to baton that shit, like you got to know exactly what that is. Yeah. Mm. It's like, they'll be like, you know, I need carrot batons you know, apple batons, whatever, you know, things like that. Wow. So that's yeah. the thing where it's like it's very thinly sliced. Yeah. You're just cutting like little logs, basically, mm. to put it into simple terms. Mm. So. Chef and baton. Yo, that's a six ninety nine per pound gem right there, man. <laughs> need that little sound bite right there. You know what I'm saying? Cha-ching. But, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm like, all right, then, I mean, what do I, so I asked him, like, what do I have to do? He's like, well, you can come work in the kitchen. But I can't pay you. Mm. And this is before the whole, like, labor, you know, it's a very sensitive topic right now in the culinary world, especially in New York, you know, in the United, United States. So I worked there for free for two months. At, at your boy's yeah. uh, restaurant? Yeah. As, as a what? Just like as in a the prep kitchen? Cook. As a prep cook. In the cellar, they had a uh, prep area in the cellar kitchen. I was peeling shrimp, peeling cases of potatoes, peeling onion, like cases. Oh, my God. So I was doing that for two months while I was going to school full-time, while I was working at Setagaya. Uh, so that was... Oh, my God. Because, you know, and I had to do that because I'm like, this is this is my chance, you know? Mm. And it's it's going to be tough, but this is it's going to be a temporary thing, so... So so, so t- tell me a little bit about um, what is, like, the hierarchy, right, in a kitchen? Because you just said that you was a what? Like a prep, prep cook? cook? A yeah. So prep. there's a prep cook, and then there's a line cook? Yeah. And then it, it, this this sounds like some military shit. Yeah, you what know is what I mean? a ladder? Yeah, that's why, you know, it's the kitchen's, like the hierarchy of the kitchen is uh, similar to a military brigade. Um, so, from you know, from the top is like the owner, obviously. And then there's the executive chef. Mm-hmm. Underneath, depending on the size of the restaurant, underneath the executive chef would be a head chef. And head chef would be solely focused on food, you know. Mm. Underneath the head chef would be sous chef, which is like the right hand of a head chef acts as a head chef when the head chef's not there, responsibilities, you know, that mm. the head chef would have. Underneath the sous chef will be a tournant. Tournant chef. That's it's another sound. French word. Basically, this cook can work any stations, floats around and fills in holes. For example, you know, on a Monday, he'll, he might work, he or she might work a pantry or a garmanger, mm. making salads and cold dishes. And then on Wednesday, he might work a grill, st- he or she might work a grill station, you know, roast station, but you know, someone that understands cooking techniques very well. Mm-hmm. What, what do you call this again? Tornant. Tornant. You want me to spell it for you? Are <laughs> right, you ready? Yeah, let's do T- it. T-O-U-R-N-A-N-T. Tornant. Tornant, yes. So like, okay, so got you. So, man, yo, so many terms. Now I could like flex. Next time I'm with like people that at a restaurant, 
podcast. It's like, yeah, man. Yeah, you, you a tornado? You know what I mean? Like, yo, yeah, they, right, yo they're going to look at you and be like, damn, you, you work in a restaurant or definitely a kitchen, like yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, tornado. For sure. Because I never hear tornado. Like, I always hear like a line cook. I hear like a head chef, and obviously. But Tornant, that's some new shit. That's some new that's shit. That's another right gem there. right there, man. <laughs> but yeah, okay, keep going. Educating so the after world. After the Tornant. So, so after the Tornant is a line cook. It's the line cook. Yeah. So what was the what's the job that entails for a line cook? Line cook, um, you basically, you're in charge of a station. Mm. Like, if you're a garmanger, garmanger works cold cold apps, salads, tartars. Oh, okay, gotcha. You know, that's things a like Garmanger, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, you ain't got to spell that for me. Uh, yo, that's a long one to spell yeah, anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you might fuck it up. <laughs> um, yeah, it's setting up the station, you know, Prepping, prepping the ingredients for mm-hmm. dishes, you know, um, chopping chives, making dressings, sauces, you know, and working, working the service, actually working the service. When lunch opens at 12, you're plating dishes as orders come in. When the lunch, or, uh, lunch service finishes at three, you clean the station, you start prepping for dinner, things mm-hmm. like that. Got you. And mm-hmm. then after the line cook is the prep cook. Prep cooks. So prep cook is like the bottom it's like of interns. the hierarchy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yes. Um, technically, yes. Uh-huh. Um, and prep cooks generally work uh, morning shifts. They come in at 6 a.m. Gotcha. Wow. Um, when deliveries come in, they start prepping. Mm. You know, you know, batching out. Like, butchers are part of the prep team. Uh, butchers will break down whole, chick- like, you know, whole chickens, cleaning steaks, you know, uh, cleaning fish, breaking down fish, things like that. Gotcha. So is this so? This is based on the French model or yeah. the origin. So when is it pretty universal now? Like in Asian restaurant, like whatever, would it replicate that if you're um, at a certain level? I mean, the kitchens I've worked in, yeah. in New York, um, they're all basically like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've never worked in a kitchen in Asia, but I'm pretty sure it might look very, very similar to that. Mm-hmm. It's become like the standard. Yeah. Got you. It's a system that works, you know. Got you. Got you. So, so, so you're going to school, and you're working as a That's prep. That's crazy. Cook. Yeah. And so you're going to these restaurants six five a.m. in the morning. Yep. Peeling shrimp for free. For free. <laughs> free. Okay. And and then you afterwards you go to school, maybe from like ten a.m. to like I don't know two three p.m. or whatever. Yeah. Afterwards you go to uh, Setagaya. Yep. To uh, make to, ramen. Yep. Wow. Oh so like your day You need to write a kitchen like at a, at, in a week, like you were working seven days a week, I'm assuming almost. Um something like that. I mean I think I had one day off, like on a Sunday. Mm. But Monday through Saturday was very, very, very busy. Right. So tell us a little bit about like, you know, being a prep cook. Like, you know, so you're just literally like in the cellar, like you know, listening to Prepping. like bachata music in the background and just like <laughs> peeling shrimp. Yeah, what were some thoughts going on in your mind? <laughs> Dude, Jakey, I love how you visualize and like visualize all these uh, like the scenarios. Yeah. But it's pretty um, accurate, right? It's pretty accurate. I was surrounded by, like at Ramen Satagai, I was surrounded by all Asians, mm-hmm. Japanese, Koreans. And then when I went to Michael's, I was surrounded by straight up like Latinos. Mm. And you know, it was a very foreign environment to me because I was working like two years as a in a ramen shop, yeah. surrounded by Asians every day, you know, and then coming into an American kitchen filled with Latinos. So I was outcast basically. So um, yeah, they were playing a lot of 
you know, Latin music. Mm. Um, and they, but they treated me very well. You know, they, I was, I was very young at the time. I was like 19. Mm. Yeah. I was, I was like 19. So, you know, stubborn, you know, I'm like coming in like chest high, Korean pride. <laughs> it was a humbling experience, you know, when I couldn't peel potatoes at a, fast enough. They're like, what are you, come on, man. Like, this is how you hold a potato. This is how you hold a peeler. And you just got to go at it, you know? Mm. Um, so it was a humbling experience. Right. And like, you know, because um, I did a, a short-term stint at a, a Momofuku ramen shop. You did? Like a very, like a week long. I got I got let go. A week. A week. A week. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, like I was uh, I was like a, a server slash buzzboy slash host, whatever. Like, I don't know. It was Can like you a imagine JK as situation. a server? So what you want? No, no, no. Listen, I mean, I don't really want to go too much in depth about it. But one thing that I learned that was kind of like, uh, it was a shock. It was a culture shock was how um, loud and aggressive people talked in the kitchen. Like It's like a war zone. Yeah, it's like a war zone. They're like, they're cursing, they're yelling. And, you know, because it's also, it has to be safe. Like, because you could fucking burn yourself yeah. or cut yourself. Like, if a server is going into the kitchen, they have to say, coming through. Like, you know, they, yeah. they, they yeah. encourage you to talk really loud. And I was like, and it took me a little while to get accustomed to that. I was like, like, why are they mad? Yeah, like, why are they all <laughs> like fucking hollering at each other and shit? You know what I'm saying? So, like, can you tell me a little bit about that? Like, that you know, culture. Because when you were, I'm sure, at the Japanese restaurant, like the Satagaya was a little bit more tamed, I'm assuming. Yeah. And then yeah, you went yeah. to like this American kitchen. Yeah. Like, what was the difference? A huge difference. Like, having to yell, you know, behind, corner, hot, you know, you know, coming through, um, open, like, it's like, I'm not used to saying that, you know, mm. so, but I, but I realized how important that is, you know, like, we're all, like you said, we're all working with knives on the line when we're cooking next to each other, it's, it's fire and hot oil. Um, if you don't communicate, people are going to get hurt. You know, and you don't want to you don't want to injure each other. So it's well, just necessary. Is there like a? Tr I mean, it really sounds like the military at this point. Do do, do people kind of mentor you, or like, is there a system of education of you know, like they set you aside and say this is what you have to know, or like these are the terms, or read this book? Um, I think now it might be more like that. I mean, I'm still young, but when I started cooking, it it was you know, it wasn't so PC. Like right now, I feel like. Um, you have to be very PC, mm -hmm. you know. But then it was like, <laughs> it wasn't like that. Yeah, come nah. on, runt, like <laughs> no, get up like, here. Uh -huh. you, know, like, you know, when you when you when you mess up, the chef comes up to you. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, like talking, you know, yeah. things like that. But you know, it takes. It, I'm not saying it's right, but you know, then I think you needed more. You needed thick skin yeah. to like, survive. You know, it drills so, into your head almost. Yeah. So no one really like held your hand, you know, through the process. You were no, like they surviving. Don't, yeah, and, they don't. Mm. No, I mean, no chefs want to babysit. Yeah. You know? I, I can't think of one. I mean, actually. All right. I mean, I don't want to jump the jump the story, no, but jump, jump. Um, from Michael's, I, I was there a year and a half, and I went to a restaurant called Tabla. It was part of Union Square Hospitality. Um, the chef there, chef owner Floyd Cardoz, an Indian chef amazing chef he was him and the chef to cuisine there named Ty Coates were probably like big impacted my life my career big, big time mm. 
because mm. um, that was the first time where where they would you know kind of stand next to me and show me how to how to you know how to like make a sauce properly, how to sa- how to cook a vegetable properly from A to Z and exp- break it down. Mm. Um, and like so, really mentor. Yeah, like first time, and I'm like, man, that's fucking amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is in a huge kitchen with like. 60 cooks so for for them to take like even three minutes let alone like finding time to even talk to me it's like i really appreciated that and that showed like that showed like how how much they wanted to pass on their knowledge to the future generation which which i really really admired right Mm -hmm. so Okay, so you go from, so, uh, you know, when you jump, what was the name of the uh, restaurant that you were talking about? Tabla. Tabla. Tabla, right. So you were at Michael's um, doing what you do, kind of getting your ass kicked, just kind of learning the foundation. When did you decide to jump to a different restaurant called Tabla? So by then, you were already, like, like zoned in. Like, you're like, I'm about to be a chef. Like, I want to be be in the kitchen. I I, I think, um, I think whenever I... Like looking back in hi- in hindsight now, like whenever I felt like I wasn't being challenged anymore, mm. um, I'm like, man, I think it's time for me to kind of explore somewhere else and get my ass kicked again and kind of be surrounded by people that know know something else, you know. So you just you just can't stand complacency. Yeah, and just being jaded, you know. Mm. It's Opposite. I was so hungry for knowledge then. Yeah. Like I'm spending. It's like. Every hour, I'm like, uh, what, what else can I learn, you know? Yeah. And at Michael's, I think I was there like a year and a half, like a year and 10 months. Uh, like the last two months, I'm, I'm like, okay, it's, I think it's time for me to see, see somewhere else and uh, learn, learn something that I don't know. Mm-hmm. So at what point um, were you in the hierarchy when you kind of graduated from Michael's? Like, well, did you move into a different position? I mean, you weren't a prep cook anymore. No, right? so at Michael's, like, when I left, I was a torn on. I worked mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. the stations. Wow. There were only four stations. It was a small kitchen. So how did you get, like, promoted? Like, it, does the executive chef make the executive decision? Yes and no. <laughs> how does that work? Is it like... A cook doesn't show up. Hey, you're in. <laughs> oh. You're like, what wow. the fuck? And then you only, you only kind of watched him do it, and he's right. like... And then you just kind of have to learn on so the fly. So like, it's like on some Eminem shit. You only get one chance to not miss your chance to blow. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's wow. like really on some shit like that. Oh, my gosh. So if you get lucky, you just get to move up really quickly. And too, if then. you do a decent enough job on that day when you fill in, he's like, all right. The next day, it's like, hey, yeah, you know, you can work here. Yeah, put me in, coach. Yeah. Mm. Do you remember your first time when you had to like... Yeah, I messed up. I messed up. Mm. It was a lunch shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and... We were getting destroyed, like so busy, and I couldn't keep up. Like tickets were dragging. I, I was in the weeds, mm. and nobody saved me. <laughs> oh shit! Cry. So it was just the chef yelling, "What the, f- what the fuck are you doing? Mm. Right, right, Hurry right. the fuck up! I need this now. You know, I need it now. I'm like, I, I can't give it to you now. It's, it's impossible. Right. Um. But after service, it was like. You know, it was like, it was a moment where it really humbled me, got my ass kicked, and, you know, he gave me a chance after that. Mm. Not the very next day, but (laughs) after I practiced a little more and trained a little more on Mm. the station, Mm. yeah. And were you surrounded by people who had, like, more formal education? 
No, in not Georgia? at that restaurant. Mm. It was like it was all. They were like they just learned from cooking in a restaurant. They never yeah. went to school for it. You know, like I and to be honest, like I have so much Korean pride. I'm like, yo, they better not call me Chino. Like, <laughs> but when I went there, like there was a cook, a Dominican cook, nicknamed Chino. So I was lucky. <laughs> but escaped it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so you go to Tabla. Yeah. And then you uh, and the, yeah and Tabla cook the cooks there at Tabla were they went to school mm-hmm. like CIA okay you know uh, FCI so so okay so for for those of us that don't know like the culinary world like CIA is like like what is that like an equivalent to in terms of like just regular like in terms like of, that's, that's that's probably like, the best culinary school so that's like, like, one like of, that's like that's an Ivy League of yeah, culinary yeah, yeah, schools yeah, yeah. okay so what is the other one. FCI, French Culinary Institute. Okay. Mm. They changed their name now. It's ICC, mm. International Culinary Center. Mm. Um, but the, the cooks that I work with at Tabla were, were all like culinary school graduates. Mm. Wow. And I wasn't, you know? Right. So can you walk us through what it's like to like apply for a job like at a restaurant? Like, for, like is there an interview? So is do you there bring like your a, resume? Yeah, is there like, do you have to... Like, do they give you like a, a test? Secret ingredient, like cook with. Not, not ramen. even that. Like, do they give you a test? Like, yo, you got five minutes. You gotta make this. Yeah. Like, and you gotta fucking like whip some shit up, like on some Iron Chef type shit. Like, <laughs> so, walk us through the real. Like, process. All right, so you apply, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, the way I got the job at Tablo was I, I was like humble. I was very humble when I applied. I said, I'm willing to throw away everything that I know to learn to learn the style of food that you uh, you guys make at Tabla. And they called me the very next day. And when I went there to interview, they sat me down in the office, the chef there, Chef Floyd and uh, Chef Ty, they sat me down in the office. They were like, all right, you're gonna get changed. We're gonna work in the kitchen for a few hours, for free, of course, to kind of, it's called a trail, uh, for them to like observe you and see how, where you are. And for also a chance for, it was also a chance for me to see the environment and see if I wanted to work there. Right, right. Mm. Um, so, so they kept me there for like two hours, I would say. Um, I did tasks like slicing onion, you know, chopping garlic, chopping herbs, for them to see like you know my skills. Your your knife skills. Yeah. Yeah. And then like so okay so you observed that and then like so they were just like okay you pass like was that is that it? Um, yeah, I mean. I think after like, it was after like an hour. No, not even an hour. I, I took a recipe from their book. Yeah. I, w- I went up to the fish cook there named Caesar at the time. He was making like a sauce for this for a fish on the fish station. And I'm like, hey, I, I can do this. Mm. So, you know, I took, you know, mushrooms, shiitake mushrooms, shallots, and I started just going, going away at it. And I could see from my peripheral vision that uh, Chef Floyd he was observing me, just watching me for like two minutes, and he said, "Come to the office." And he's like, um, "When can you start?" Mm. I was like, "I can start tomorrow." Wow! But that was it. And then I didn't go home right away. I, I decided to stay and just kind of watch the dinner service. Um, and I was like, "Man, this is like, this is on some next level." The cooks mm. over there, the the day, the way they were communicating, it wasn't yelling at each other. Like, it was like. It was like so professional, mm. you know. Oh wow! And after seeing that, my 
I was like mind blown. I'm like, oh my God, this is where I need to be. What is it? Like, what was one thing that kind of like you still remember that was like, damn, like I, I that's some real shit. Like that's some next level shit. They were able to work so efficiently mm-hmm. and work clean at the same time. Mm. You know, like I'm not going to say like the past restaurants were dirty, but they were like, like clean, like everything clean. Mm. Like, mm. you know, the hats were perfectly on their head. Mm. Aprons were, you know, white. Their towels were white. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't like a diner, diner kitchen, you know. Mm. So is that like, you know, like when you watch like some Chinese Kung Fu flicks, like you could tell like the level of like they say like the sharpness, like the, you could tell the level of like the opponent. Just like they say, like, yo, if you're like an expert martial artist, as soon as like you like you know touch each other's uh, fist or whatever like you know like their level is that like a way for a chef to know like what your level is just by looking at each other's like yo how clean your apron is like in the kitchen i, I think like the first impression yeah but then i mean but then again you could i don't think that's the best way to tell mm. like you got to watch them work how they move and mm. you know if they move in a way where they where they don't look like confused Mm. And every move has a purpose, mm. and they're so like organized in their head. Every move has a purpose in the kitchen. Yo, that's kind of a gem, man. Nah, for real, that's a that's a gem. It is, it is. So, so you wow. you work over here, over over at Tabla. Tabla, Tabla. Um, for how long? How long you was over there? Um, I was there until they closed. It wasn't. I stayed there like a year, mm. and they were open for twelve years, I think, mm. and. Um, they announced that they were going to close like a month before they closed to kind of give us a chance to like start, you know, applying elsewhere to yeah. find a job. Um, what are some of the biggest lessons you had? I mean, we, you kind of brought us to the beginning of Tabla, but then the middle and the end, like what kind of transformation did you go through? Just the care for ingredients, you know? Yeah. Like The care for ingredients. Yeah. You treat every ingredient with respect. Oh shit, yo, that's another gem right there, son. Yo, you, yo. So, how, wait, how exactly though? So, like, so what is disrespectful? Like, like, you have to bow to them, like, yo, up. I appreciate your tomato for me to chop you up today. Um, like, for example, like, not having any waste, you don't just chop off the tip of an onion and throw it away. Yeah. Ah. You know, you, you save that and you make a vegetable stock. So, you Ooh. use every, every wow. part of the in- ingredient. Even, you know, like fish, when fish comes in, you don't just lift it up with one hand. You lift with two hands, dealt, like, and you place it on your cutting board. Oh like, shit! Treat it. Like on some like real like yo, I yeah. respect two, you. Two like, son at all. like with two hands, two like hands. some Korean shit. Like wow, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> like, like trying not to waste any part of an ingredient is like, it's like what I really learned over there. Mm. You know, saving the fish bones mm-hmm. uh, for what though? To, to make to make a uh, fish stock. Mm, for broth mm-hmm. and shit. For broth right, and right. turning that into a sauce, you know? Got mm-hmm. you. So did you do, because you said the people around you at Tabla, they had like more formal education and stuff. Did you feel a sense of, did you do anything extra on the side or to exp- expedite the learning process in yeah. terms of like maybe technical things? I like, showed up to work two hours early every day and didn't clock in. Ooh. Every day. You heard that, motherfuckers? Yo. You got to oh put in that gosh. work, son. Got to put in the yeah, work. You got to put in the work. And and I think that's how I was able to like, you know, learn, learn, learn at a faster, faster rate. 
So so let me ask you this one thing though, like because you know it seems like when you decided to like okay I'm gonna be a nurse right like it wasn't like a passion thing it was really like an economical practical, practical stand yeah right so I'm not saying that you wasn't hardworking before but it seems like you know you weren't like that much dedicated into one thing but what is it about working in the kitchen that fucking made you want to work for free like to fucking come in two hours early like what like what was it yeah what that feel- really like yeah. your work ethic, you know, where did that mind shift? I mean, I think I was always like, like, you know, I think I got it from my, like just watching my parents when we moved here from Korea. Yeah. And, you know, I think they've worked like six days every week of their lives when we moved here. Just watching them work kind of instilled that work ethic in me. Mm. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, when I went into a kitchen, it, you know, that insp- that it was basically that. That's how people supposed to work, you know. Mm. So for me to show up two hours early wasn't like I didn't feel like oh I'm like I'm doing it because I you know it's like that's that was normal to me. I'm like you just have to. This is what it is, yeah. mm. you know. So how did your parents feel about you? Like per- did you kind of declare it to them or did you kind of ease in? Yeah, no, no. I I, I told them like once I failed chemistry, <laughs> I was like. I went to my house in Long, uh, my parents' place in Long Island, and I told my dad, I was like, I was here. So, you're going to go to the And he's like, Yeah, I'm not. Right. I was so, like, he was basically saying, like, Yo, you're going you're gonna to be struggling until the day you die if you become a chef. That's what he was telling you. Basically. And I was like, I was like, you know, it doesn't feel like struggle right now. So, mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, I don't think I will be struggling later on. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I enjoy doing it. I think that was the most important thing. I'm like, I enjoy doing this. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like work right now. So I don't think it ever will feel like work. So. That's, that's amazing. That's awesome. That's, that's key. That's key. And like, even till this day, like, I'm, I'm not making this up. Like, I, I look forward to going to work every day. Like, legit. Mm. That's so awesome. No, nah, that's, that's, that's yeah, important. Man. So I think I'm really blessed, you know. Right. That's important. That's that's one of the keys, man. Cause yo, there's it, like when I had this one job in the past, like every morning, I woke up, I was like, "Fuck, I gotta go to work," <laughs> mm. and that shit, that shit fucks up your whole day, your whole mental. Yeah, and you're so removed from it every day. You're just like, "Oh, I gotta." You, yeah, you try when to it find feels excuses. like an obligation. Yeah, you try to yeah, find yeah, excuses yeah, yeah. to like why you have to do it, right? But right now, like even though whatever I'm doing right now is tough, like I look forward to doing everything I'm doing. You know what I mean? So I think that's like a, a gem right there, like a key. Like you look forward to what you're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But so okay, so Tabla is it is it that that chapter closed. So yeah. what happens next? So um I we all we all had to sit down with uh the chef there, Chef Floyd, and he like every day he called one of us in. Like it was like, Hey, what what do you want to do next? For him to like kind of guide us and kind of maybe it can help us and link us up with another chef like mm. that he knows or is mm. friends with. So, you know, he's like, he's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, oh, you know, I, I love working in a big kitchen like this. You know, next step for me, I want to learn more about fish. So Chef Tai, he recommended a restaurant called Oceana. And, Oceana, um, okay, yeah. that sounds like a fish restaurant. Yeah, and huge, like, I think it was like, like 350 seats, like, Crazy wow. big. While while I was there, the chef had um, the chef that recommended me there. He like 
called me. He's like, hey, I'm opening up a restaurant. You got it. You want to come? I'm like, so you were at Oceana? Yeah, I wasn't there for long. Okay. I think it was like, like three or four months or something. Mm. Yeah. And I get a call from the former chef. He's like, hey, I'm opening up a restaurant. And he like, and it interested me. So I went there. It was it was in uh, Chinatown, mm. low like between Chinatown, Little Italy, called. Um, um, it was on Elizabeth Street called Elabes. Uh, Elabes, okay. But they closed, mm. and that was like, I was like, man, like why? <laughs> I went to Tabla, Tabla closed. I went to Elabes, Elabes closed. I'm like, this is bad. Like, yeah, right. I want to be in a restaurant where it's consistent. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, so Alabas yeah. closes, unfortunately. Um, and then um, you make the transition to the next restaurant, right? I'm yeah. assuming. So there, from then, I took like a three-month break. Mm. I was like, it crushed my, uh, like, you know, like my morale. Yeah. For a little bit, right. Yeah, I'm Just like. Just closing and closing. I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm working my ass off, but it's not good enough. It's not on your work ethic alone, and it's not on you on you alone. It's everything else, and I, right. which I didn't have control over. So right. I'm like, oh, I need a break. Right. So, so by then, like, you know, you're obviously a full time chef now. I mean, a full time, you know, person in the restaurant industry. What happens to your uh, humble dream of becoming a nurse that just kind of disappears when you were like? Twenty, twenty one. Dude, that was long gone, man. Long that was long gone. Like, so, like, did you graduate college or did you oh, just so, drop out? Okay, so I was going to Hunter uh-huh. when I failed chemistry, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, I want to be a chef. I was, I was, uh, I didn't even have green card then. Okay, oh. so your status, I had a, right, right? I had a work permit, so I was able right. to work legally, mm. but not having a green card and like. Not being a permanent resident right. meant like I can't get financial aid. Right. I can't get loans, things right. like that. So, well, I, I thought maybe maybe it, I'm not no, right. No, no, you're right. No, am you're I right. right? Okay. Yeah, you're right. So I was like, man, I can't go to CIA. Right. I can't afford that. I can't go to FCI. I can't afford that. Right. What's What options do I have? And the option at the time was uh, City Tech in Brooklyn, where they offered, uh, where they had a hospitality management program and you could focus on culinary arts. Mm. And the, like, you know, the chef, the chef professors over there and the instructors over there were basically, like when I went there, I found out they're from like CIA and FCI. Like right. they taught there. Oh, right. wow. Yeah, so I'm like, I mean, I'm like, yo, this ain't bad. Right. So I was going, I was going to City Tech and the classes were so early in the morning, like 7 a.m. Because the classes were, like you're cooking, so you gotta be there for like five hours. So my class was from like seven to like one, mm. and then I went to work at Tabla right after. Right. So I did that for a for a year, but I was like, man, I, I want to work more. I'm learning more at working. I feel like I'm not learning that much in school. I mean, I love education, but I was like, at the time, I'm like, I, I'm gonna put this on hold. But when I did that, I just never went back. Got you. Mm. So I think one key lesson. Actually, two key lessons is one, yo, man, even if your status is shaky, there's ways that you could make it work. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's because I, I relate to that a lot because um, uh, like my status wasn't really there before, uh, like right before I went to college. So like when I was like 17 or 18, that's when like my papers came out. Yeah. So like my parents could actually like help me get financial aid and put me through 
uh, you know, one of those private schools, right, for college. But, like, I have so many homies that, like, you know, they're they're still under DACA. You know what I mean? I mean? Like, I don't know if everybody knows about DACA, but that shit is a real thing. You know what I mean? And some of those guys, they kind of, like, they're kind of just, like, complacent because the system is not really providing what they want, you know, like, what they want to do. So they're just, like, you know what? Like, you know, like, I just fucking, I don't know, like, stay in the hood and just work at a cell phone store or, you know, like, they just, like, kind of get complacent with that. Not really, like, seek out of their comfort zone to look for opportunities like what you just said right now you're just like yo like shit i can't go to cia so fuck it i'm gonna just find another option for me to like improve what i want to do you know what i mean and another thing um is i think one one other key takeaway is that yo like school is great but you don't really need school if you are in the field really putting into work you know what i mean that's another key thing that i learned like when i you know i went to a four-year college like yo that shit was cool you know what i mean like met some cool people but like everything that I know right now, I learn on the field. You know what I mean? So I think that's another good six ninety nine takeaway, man. I just gotta put that out yeah. there. Yeah. So were most of your friends, um, you know, during these times like coworkers or you know, Rec and Jakey? They're you know, uh, they're like college friends yeah. and from Hunter. Uh-huh. I made very close friends at Hunter. Like even till this day I keep in touch with them. Yeah. But also like work friends, mm-hmm. you know? So so were you kind of like the only chef type of industry person out of your friend group? Yeah, mm-hmm. I was. I was like the only one working, you know, in college. I was like one of the, you know, at Hunter College, I was considered like rich, rich between my friends, oh. you know, because I, I was working part time. I had money to spend a little bit. Yeah. Right. Wait, that makes me curious about like salary. It, so does it... It depends on glass door shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or no, does no, it? Or does it depend that. on like um, the restaurant? Like, how how does that get determined? Salary. Yeah, is it same? Is it is there like a standard of like a you know tornado makes this no, much no, or, no, no, or no. yeah? No, or, there's there's n- there's none of that. There's no standard. You know, so you know how much I made as a line cook? The most I ever made. Uh, I don't know. You tell me. Eleven dollars. An hour. An hour. <gasps> oh my god. I survived okay. off of. Eleven dollars an hour uh. for years, uh. but the thing is, you you make it on the overtime. Uh. So line cooks never work for the eleven. It's really for the overtime. It's when you work like sixty five hours and you get twenty five twenty five hours overtime. Yeah, that's where you make make a little extra. Oh, okay, and also it's like I'm assuming a lot of it is cash. Um, some restaurants, right? Um, like. First restaurant I was at, that was cash. And that's probably the most I ever made as a cook at a ramen shop. They paid cash. Mm. And I got tipped because it was an open kitchen. Which, right. But I, I think it was illegal because <laughs> I didn't really inter- like serve the guest. So I was making, as like a 17, 18-year-old, I was making, working eight, eight, nine hours a night, like $160 cash. It's not bad. Yeah. Yo, that, that's not bad as a as a 17, 18 year old. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. But you know, that was the only time. After that <laughs> was like, you know, eating shinlamian every other day oh, and right. No. You know, sc- scrapping up change to get a full long sandwich at Subway's. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's crazy. So you were putting it Okay, so damn, yo. So the struggles of like establishing uh, establishing your name in the, in the in the cooking world, man. That's I think that's why, like, they say, like, New York, you, you, New York City's tough, you know, because 
you know, the expense of living expenses here is, is high. You don't make that much, you know, so if you survive it here, it's like, like your willpower and your, you know, how, and you know, not giving up. Nah, it's tough. for real. Because I, I, my parents were in Long Island, but you know, I'm the oldest child and so prideful. I'm like, I'm not gonna burden my parents to wow. have them support me. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not gonna tell them that I'm struggling. Right. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Right, right, right. Nah, for real, man. Yo, there was a, after I quit my job, yo, like there was like a one, one year period. Yo, said it was such a fucking struggle with it. I was like, scrap it. I was, there was one time I didn't have money to pay for a MetroCard. So I literally walked two hours to walk home. Damn. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I've had instances like that, yo. And I didn't want it to like, Tell my girl, yo, Venmo me. And I don't even think Venmo was like there were definitely moments like that, man. But you're right though, man. New York City really toughens you up. And if you could, you know, the cliche saying like, yo, if you could make it here, you could make it anywhere. Not like, like I, there, there's even till this day, like there are cooks, aspiring chefs from like a different state, from like California, from Texas, anywhere else. They come to New York and I work with them, you know. And they're like, yeah, you know, I came to New York City because I know this is like the culinary capital of the world. Is it? Like, you tell me. Is um, it? Well, I haven't been to like other big cities, so I can't say. Right. But based on what people say, I think there's some truth to that. Right. Um, but, you know, like, but these, I see like passion in their eyes and I could tell that they're fired up. But then like six months in, they're like, I, I can't live like this. Right. And they move right back. Right. And I can't blame them because, you know, it's it's not easy. Yeah, uh, it's not easy. Uh. So after, how did you get your morale back? You know, how did you get your passion back after the um, three month hiatus? Well, I went and I went and visited my grandmother in Korea, mm. and my harmony. I, I got the wise words. <sighs> you know, I was like, I missed her so much. We, you know, she basically raised me and my brother because my, my my parents were always at work. And my grandma moved. My grandma moved back because she was getting old. She's like, you know, I want to be in my in my country, you know, in the apartment that we grew up in. Um, so I went and visited her. Also saw my cousins. Um, I stayed, I think, like two and a half weeks, and just being next to her, and I'm like, and I want to make her proud, you know. So I think that's when I got my morale back, and I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, let's let's do this. Mm-hmm. And it's, I feel like it's also God's doing. When I the the day that I came back to New York, I got a call from from us from a chef that used to work at Oceana, Japanese chef. Yeah. Called Chef Masa. Um he called me, you know, and is he's like, Hey, my, my friend is opening up a, a restaurant. He needs a junior sous chef and I'm like Who's your friend? Yeah, I'm like, what kind of restaurant is that? Oh, it's like Asian ins- Asian inspired like bistro type of restaurant. I'm like, okay. He's, he's like, you want to go see him? I'm like, yeah, I'll go see him. Because I didn't have a job lined up. I just came back and I went. And it was a restaurant called Tribeca Canvas, mm. which which is which also closed. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was a Morimoto restaurant. Mm. And uh, the chef there, uh, Chef Osaka-san, and also the, the general manager there uh, named Shik, Shik An, uh-huh. uh, is a Korean, uh, Korean young. Who, who like who was a big uh, mentor to me too. His name is Shik. Yeah. Like oh, Shik. Like yeah. Shik. Okay, Inchik. got you, got you. Um. So yeah, 
It's a lot of stereotypical names here, like Osaka-san. Shik, <laughs> and the shik is like almost like. Time of time and yoke then and there. Yeah, shik. Shout out to Shik Young. I don't know you, but you know. He's a, he's a OG Young man. He's okay. like, you see him, like, you don't want to be like, you know, friends with him, you know? Yeah. Right, right, really right. good dude. Right, right, right. So his friend turns out to be. Yeah, like the, <laughs> the chef of Morimoto. Mm. Um, and I'm like, Fuck, I'm gonna, I might, I don't know if I'm fully ready, but I'm gonna do this. Right. You know? So, so for, I mean, obviously, uh, anybody who's interested in like food or is familiar with the show Iron Chef, they're familiar with Morimoto. And obviously, even if you're not, like, he's such a, his, his presence and his packaging is so unique that like you remember him as this particular chef. Mm-hmm. So, like, for people in the food world, like, what kind of figure is Morimoto? Like, how would you compare him? And like a rapper or a basketball term. No, he's like Jay Z. Okay, so he's like hope. Yo, he's like, he's old school, man. Like, he comes around. Like, I, I, I remember going to like events, you know, where there's a lot of different restaurants around it. It's like fundraisers or like, mm. you know, charity events. And then all the chefs come to him. Like, so he's the Don. Like, he's like a Don in the show. They man. come to him, they're like, oh, chef, you know, they shake his hand. They all come to him. He doesn't have to go. Like, he just stands wow. there and like, mm. Like, he just, <laughs> he just receives the bows yeah. and yeah. shit. Yeah, and he's he's a funny dude, too. He's got jokes, man. He's uh-huh. a funny dude. <laughs> so, like, so he's official, though. Like, he's on point. Mm. Like, his food is not just yeah. some, like, hyped up shit. Like, I mean, I, I, he he's legit for sure, you know, but he's, like, how do you like he has ideas right mm. and he just appoints the right person to like execute his idea gotcha so he barely he doesn't lift up a knife every day he doesn't have to right um you know but i would say that he's a pretty he's a he's a smart man you know i, right. I think i saw i more than cooking there i didn't re- really learn much about i wouldn't say i learned i learned about food and cooking over there but i learned more about like the business side and how he thinks mm. so that was that was something that I that I learned more of. Yeah. So you said when you went to Tabla, there was this, like, you were shocked by how they were running the place. For Morimoto, was there a certain way they ran the place that was striking to you? Or um, that was different? You know, no, pe- I mean, people say, like, oh, Morimoto restaurant, but then, like, the, when you're inside the no, kitchen, I, is it really different? <laughs> no. I mean, I wasn't in Morimoto Chelsea, you know, mm. but, like, his his first restaurant in New York City. Um, but it didn't run any different. It's just same old, like, it's just different type of food. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it was it was a good opportunity for me, and I'll, I'll say this because the chef there, Osaka-san, wasn't great at speaking English, so I did all the interviews. Oh. I did all the hiring. I did all the training. I wrote all the recipes, like, because, you know, that was his challenge, and that's where I came in. And, yeah. And then kind of uh it put me on the spot and i had to learn like on the fly yeah so so that was okay so working in that um environment it kind of like pivoted your career as a chef as well like yeah like kind holistic of created training your brand as well in a way yeah i would say that right mm-hmm. yeah so you talked a little bit about like creating recipes and stuff so is, is there like a brainstorming session or yeah. there there is oh. like it'll be like um, like right now, like we're we're working on our new um, our new menu to go in. You know, we're, we're in summer now. Like a lot of ingredients are in season, so 
you want to highlight and use the ingredients that that are good right now. Yeah. Corn. You know what I mean? Like, mm. you don't want to miss this chance. Like, so, like right now, I work I work for a chef named Dale Talde. He would call me. He'll say, or when he's when he's at the restaurant, he's like, I want to put a steak on the menu. Like, what should we do? And then we start brainstorming. Like, what steaks do we have in house right now? How do we want to do? We want to. You know, do we want to get a very expensive cut like dry aged steak, or do we want to keep it humble like skirt steak, or, you know, things like that. So that's how we brainstorm ideas, and then we'll put it to a test. We'll um, we'll sell it as a special, see if people and get real feedback from customers. Um, and if like ninety nine percent of the feedback is great, oh Jeff, they loved it. They said they want to come back, and they said they uh, customers said this should be on the menu. If we keep hearing this, and we're like, okay, so people love this, so let's put this on. So, so okay, so that, wow. So basically, the I thought special, they were just being polite, be like, "How is your food?" I'd, I'd be like, "Oh, it's it's good," but they're actually polling. Yeah, yeah, they're actually polling. Another thing is, you know, the special on the menu. Yeah, is basically almost like we're guinea pigs. Yeah, like <laughs> testing it out for y'all. <laughs> is that is that true? Is there a fact to that, Chef Jay? I mean, as. Yes, in a way, but you know, well, we don't put it on if we don't believe in the dish. You gotcha. Know? Yeah. Like it. Good I'm, answer. I'm mm-hmm. like, man, I, I, I love this dish, uh-huh. I, but I just need to know if need validation. People, people gotcha. appreciate it like gotcha. that because we all have different palates, you know. Right. So. Gotcha. Yeah. So there's two different types of specials, you know, a special when you put on like, you wanna you're testing it out and seeing if you if it'll hit people are gonna love it, and there's also a special you sell just to push product out. Right. It's like, damn, yo, I got to get rid of all this shrimp. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. But um, I think we kind of jumped around just a little bit. Uh, Can you kind of tell us about, because I remember I kind of got more close to you uh, when you were overseeing Morimoto's uh, ramen specialty restaurant. Am I correct? Yeah. Well, yeah. Ramen Izakaya. Yeah. Um, Momo-san. This was before you um, started working with Rice and Gold, right? Yeah. So you were working at Momo-san, and um, I think that's when I kind of got to know you a little bit more. Um, tell us, like, so you, if anything, you kind of went back to your essence. Like, you started with this ramen yeah, shit. Yeah, it's, it's that's crazy. That's surreal. So, yeah. like, tell, tell us. And then also I remember seeing, like, press clippings of you, like, in the kitchen with Morimoto. Like, yo, tell us about that whole experience, man, like opening up Momo-san and, you know, overseeing that kitchen, you know. that So... Man, like Momo-san, that was the biggest like learning lesson of my career. Mm. Because that was the first job that I had as an executive chef. Okay, that was your first time as an executive yeah. chef. Before that, you were like, you kind of went chef, up, yeah. you were sous chef, chef you went so, up. You know, okay. I had responsibilities, but it didn't all fall on me. Mm. Right. And being at Momo-san, everything fell on me. Mm. So the burden, all this everything that I had to carry, like people depended on me for everything. So like no lie, I worked like three months straight without a day off. Like, and when I say seven days, I'm not talking about like eight hour days, I'm talking about 120 to 140 hour weeks. Oh my God. I'm not making this up. It was the toughest time of my life. So you just went home, took a shower, slept. I for slept like, like two and a half hours, and I came right back. Came to right work. back to work. And wow. I and I I lived Momosan's on 39th Street, and Lex, I I purposely moved to 34th Street and Second Ave, so I can be close to work 
and like walk back and forth. But I was so tired that I couldn't even walk home. I had to cab it home every night, like five blocks. Mm. I was just like shot. So, so okay, tell us a little bit about, okay, I mean, you've, you've been in, you've done this ramen shit before. Yeah. I mean, mind you, like you wasn't the head executive chef or whatever, but like how much work goes into making good ramen? Yo, you know what it is? It's, there's no blueprint. This was the first concept that we're just making up. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. We don't have recipes. Uh, we don't know how many cooks we're gonna need. We don't have plates picked out. We don't have utensils picked out. We don't know. We're basically creating everything from scratch. Mm. So the work that goes into there is like massive. You know, like if you look at restaurants like like just Morimoto brand, you know, he's opening up, like he opened up, uh, he has a restaurant like Napa, you know, Mexico. Uh, New York, you know, uh, Dubai. It's just basically taking a blueprint and just ins installing it somewhere else. So right. it's so it's not as hard. It's right. hard, but it's right. not like right, right, right. You know, you know what, what you, to you know expect. what to do. Right. Yeah. But with Momosan, it was brand new. So uh, you know, of course, a lot of things didn't go right. Then you have to fix it right away. You don't have time because you're opening, and it was, it was a lot of work. Mm. So tell, tell us one thing that was the most challenging that you remember still. I think just like, just, we're so busy, trying to keep up with the prep was so hard. What do you, well, what goes into the prep of like ramen? Like making the broth, making the soup, because that soup took 14 hours to make. So you could think about it, right? Like think about it. We have, we have three different types of soup. We had chicken, we had tonkotsu, and we had a chicken tonkotsu, and we had a beef. Beef was a special one that we did, but these two main broths, they took 14 hours to make, and if you sell out, that's it. You can't sell ramen. It's not like a ingredient you just whip up on the fly and like make. Yeah. So, you know, the, f the first week we opened, we 86 tonkotsu like, at like 9.30, and 86 means like sold out. And it's not good because, you know, as a customer, when you come in, it's like, oh, can I have tonkotsu ramen? Oh, actually, we don't have that. It's such a bad look. And it was so stressful to me because, you know, like we have a rule. Like all chefs have like a universal rule. You never 86 an item. What is it? Why buy 86? What is it? Why, what is the significance of that number? I have no idea. But, but is the term that chefs use? Yeah. Like, what, how do you say it again? Like 86, an, an item or a dish. An item? Like... 86 in a menu item, like. Okay. It's like the number 18 in Norabang, I'm guessing. Okay, so it's like, you it's never like 86 an item. Like, ma meaning you never run out of a food, a dish. Like food, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of a bad look amongst yeah. you chefs. Ever, you ever gone to a restaurant and it's like, oh, can I get that? It's like, oh, actually, we don't have that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's, it's not a it's good like, look. Yeah. It, it looked like you weren't, prepared. you're not prepared, you know? Mm. So. You never 86 an item. Yo, that's another gym right there, son. <laughs> Yo, son, a mad vocabularies. I gotta. I learned baton. I learned what is this? Oh, chef. Chef Navda. Chef Navda. Oh, it's. Say it. Say it. Say it. Say it. I don't remember. Were you paying attention? No, I wasn't. Okay. No, I was. I was. I just forgot okay. it already. Eighty-six. You never eighty-six an item, son. Mm. Mm. I like but that. But that's so surreal because you went from like cooking, you know, at a small scale locally to like this big thing, going from like prep cook to executive chef like in, in the span of like what seven eight years 
Yeah, I mean, I started cooking in 2007, so in a span of like nine, nine years. Nine years, came. and then you didn't even go to like a prestigious culinary school. No, and so then you just school of hard knocks, like, man. School of hard knocks, and you just fucking became an executive chef yeah. under a world famous morning yeah. muscle. I was fucking I crazy. Was blessed. I was blessed with that opportunity too. How? What do you think a normal? like timeline would be like what's like an average because you're extraordinarily fast but what's like if you uh, could compare it to anything i would say like that i would say like 10 years i don't know i think i got there like a pretty i don't think it's that fast mm-hmm. like i got there mm-hmm. at like a pretty normal right okay. I, I think i think okay but i mean did you because you came up from the bottom and stuff did you see colleagues kind of fall away and just say, you know, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this life. And yeah. Cause, it just gets smaller and smaller. Because I didn't, you know, I was already burning out. Like, you know, I was already working like 60-hour weeks on top of trying to go to school 7 a.m. in the morning. It's like I did it for like a year, and I was like, man, I, I can't. I'm like, I'll, I made a goal. I'm like, I'll just do it this year, finish up this semester, and let's let me see what happens next. But, you know. My career never stopped. It was just like one after another. I always had a job. It was when I didn't, it's because I chose not to have a job and I mm-hmm. needed a break. So, um, you know, my dad, it's actually my dad wanted me to finish school because he didn't finish school. You know, he was like in Korea, you know, he didn't go to college and he's like, it's like, Chesang, I'll go to mm-hmm. finish school. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I don't need to do it. But. Oh, no, nah, man. But okay, crazy. so. Aside from the fact, so you're you know, 86. You don't want to. You don't want to 86 an item. Aside from that, like, uh, what were some like key lessons that you think that you learned from working at Momosan, a Morimoto restaurant? Key lessons. Um, just organization. You know, like be more organized. Mm. Um, be nice to your staff. You know, like, you know, Korean sangkyuk. It's like Wukhan Sangkyuk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. K-Rage. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, like, yeah, that, that Korean fieriness. Yeah, that. you know, it, it doesn't Temperament work. Temperament is spicy, you know it, what I mean? Yeah, it doesn't work, you know. You know, people are sensitive these days. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. You know, so including more, me. So, you know, it's like the lessons, like, man, like, and the sous chef I had there with me, I was lucky. This dude named Ralph, he put in hours just like I did. And, like, it was his, that was his first management job. And before that, he was like, he was unemployed or between jobs. So it was like, we went through some tough moments together and the line cooks there too. Cause you know, like I said, trying to keep up with the prep because we were so busy, like running out of soup for a week straight, I had to come up with a solution. And the solution was hire an overnight porter who cleaned the kitchen and we, we, we make soup overnight. Mm. So that's time, time saved so we can make soup twice a day. That mm-hmm. kind of that mm-hmm. kind of mindset, mm-hmm. and after that, we never ran out of soup. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. like that soup is being boiled yeah. every around the clock, basically. Yeah. It's yeah, basically, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. you know, the amount of bones it takes to make <laughs> soup. Mm. It's crazy. So like, does it break your heart when you see people like slurp the soup a little bit and throw out the rest? Uh, nah, it doesn't break my heart. Mm. I mean, I'm like. They pay for it, so (laughs) as long as you pay for it, it's all good, baby. Yeah. Yeah. But man, yo, I see. I didn't even think like it took. I mean, when you hear like certain craftsmen, like how they like put in the effort to create broth, like I think. I mean, 
broth is such an underrated, you know, type of cuisine or type of dish that, yo, you need to put more emphasis. It's, it's not like, it's not fancy. It's not like some, you yeah. know, like some shit that you see on television, like some Iron Chef shit. But like, yo, like, it's a lot of, um, in Korean, they say chong mm. You know what I mean? A lot of care and passion that gets put into it. Mm. You know what I mean? So make sure you slurp all that broth. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh my gosh. So you came, you went from Momosan to Rice and Gold. Can you tell us about that? Where you yes. are now? Um, so where I'm now, where I'm at now is is at Rice and Gold. It's an a- Asian American. It's an Asian eatery. Um, we have an array of different types of Asian cuisine, dim sum. But we make our own kimchi in house. My mother's recipe. Uh, you know, we marinate some meat like like kalbi. You know, like kalbi style. Um, so you know. It's and it's a pretty, and it was a new challenge for me, uh, being in a hotel, like being able to run a big operation. I think I was like, I'm ready to do this, um, you know, and that's why I took it. How did it come about? Like, so when this opportunity came to you, were you pretty like happy at Momosan? I was, I was happy at Momosan. You know, I, I was very happy there. Yeah. Like, I ha- I was very happy with the staff, people that I work with. Yeah. Um. I never, I can't complain, you know. The people that I was surrounded by, they were all great. But you know, I was thinking about my future. You know, my dreams to open up my own one day. You know, and I, I had to, I always want to be in a. I never want to be in a comfortable situation. You know, I want to kind of always want to learn and kind of see different stuff. So, um, so the way that I, this opportunity came up was, you know, uh, like this friend of mine named Cliff. Mm-hmm. He's the owner of uh, Fat Buddha. Shout outs to Cliff. Um, oh. <laughs> Yeah. Lord Kimchi. Lo- yeah, Lord. Oh, oh my God! A uh, light Cho. just went off in my head. Like big ding. Yeah, the yeah. big, the big bro. You know, the big bro, Cliff Cho, owner of Fat Buddha. You know what I mean? Oh Fat Buddha gosh. Bar in the Lower East Side. Yeah. And, you know, so and Dale Talde and Cliff, they're they're boys. Gotcha. So, um, uh, they you know Dale needed a chef. Um, he was. This is before Rice and Gold was open. So he called me over, and we we spoke and. That's how we got. That's how we started. So was it? Um, how long were you at Momosan? Close to two years. Close to two years. Yeah. So you opened it up. Was it kind of like bittersweet for you to like leave something yeah. that the you people cry? Like basically birth. Um. No, people didn't cry. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't cry either. But you know, it's they were just like, nah, yo, thank God this motherfucker's out. Yeah, they're like, oh, thank God he's out, man. He's he's too tough on me. It's like all the K rage couldn't handle it yeah. anymore. Um, um, yeah, no, some people, you know, you know, actually came with me to uh, to Rice and Gold. Ah, uh, okay, got you. Yeah, you know, because I, I was that was my next question of like, um, what what stands out to you now being on the other side of things, being on the side where you can you know, choose people and, like, bring people along to your team? Like, what are the qualities that set them apart? You know, you had qualities that set you apart, right, that caught the eye? Yeah, I mean, what I really look for is, like, someone's character, you know, like, skills. At the end of the day, you know, skills you can teach, the character you're born with, you know, so... So That's a gem right there, son. <laughs> yo, wise skills. Man, wise man, yo, Jay. skills you can't teach, but character. You got to be born with that shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's a sub, man. So, you know, so when I when I meet meet people on, along the way that, you know, when when I call them, like, on their day off, and I'm like, yo, I, I need some hands today. Can you come in? They're like, 
yeah, I'll be there. Someone that I can rely on like that is like mm. huge to me. Whether they don't have to be the greatest book, but you know, someone that are devoted and mm. you know, I love that. Reliable. I love nah, that. You know, you know what it is. Like, I feel like that's kind of a universal. Uh, that's universal for anybody who's in like an executive or a, a boss position. They ex- they 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 like those type of people. Like, it's kind of like the same way with me. Like, if you like. You know, certain people are kind of like very great at what they're told to do, but that's all they want to do, and they don't really want to get involved anymore because they just want to detach themselves. Um, but I feel like from a boss, from an owner, from an executive's position, it's like, yo, if you could come through, show me that passion. It's like, yo, I fucks with you more than the kid that's like super good at just what I tell him or her to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No. You know, like you watch the, you watch anime. Yeah, yes. of course. You know Naruto. Naruto, yeah. So you know Rock, Rock Lee. Yeah, like that kind of like work ethic. Oh, I yeah. love that. I fucking love Rock Lee. Like man. Punching a tree thousand times a day. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. You know? So when I see a cook that's like new, and like after they clock out, after we finish cleaning up the station, mm. when they stay and they start sharpening their knives, I'm like, damn, I see something in you. Right. Wow. I know you're gonna get f- further than the other cooks here. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 For sure. That's great. For sure, the man. The cooks that bring their knives home, they sharpen it at home and bring it the next day. Mm. And it's like, and you notice all eye. that, you know? When you go, when you show them how to cut something, you lift up their knife and you cut. You're like, dude, is this a knife or is it a spoon? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Is that a chef joke? <laughs> you know what I'm That's yeah. a chef joke. Because yeah. Yeah. you talked about how it was like so, it left such an impression on you that the chef at Tabla like sat you down and like you know showed you how to do things like is that something you impart now or you try to do I tr- I try yeah. and let me say like it's not easy mm. you know you only have so much like hours so many hours in a day you know you know like and the human uh, the HR director that I work with her name is Giselle she said you know try your best to spend 5 minutes with each person a week like side by side that's it. Five minutes a wow. week. Wow. A one-on-one. One-on-one. And, man, like, that's so hard, you know? And that's you, hard. Yeah, on top of, because you're trying to do this on top of everything else that you have to do. Yeah. You just heard from this guy who's an executive chef at a restaurant that five minutes of his time is so much of value that it's, like, even hard to give that shit away for like to to an employee under him like for a week. Yo, how many of us or how many of y'all out there is like so fucking, you know, like full of yourself that your boss or your management, your whatever, like they spend time to fucking try to teach you shit, but you're just like, damn, yo, stop trying to micromanage me. Stop trying to fucking talk that's over my ears. You know what I'm saying? Yo, that's a luxury, man. I Y'all gotta respect that shit. You know Seriously. what I'm saying? Yo, man, you motherfuckers. <laughs> oh, my God. But, uh, I Because I, I have, like, a standing hour with my analyst every month, and I always forget. But I'm just like, Yo, Joe. if I could just do five minutes, mm. Mm. <laughs> I would just, that would still be special. Nah, but that's, that's huge, Joe. That's huge. Um, So you've been at, uh, so uh, Rice and Gold, man, I mean, like I said, like, uh, I went there actually earlier this year um, for my birthday. Um, you know, and Jay, uh, I've, he took care of me, and then you know, like the food was amazing. Uh, there was that uh, jerk duck, that shit was fire. You know what I mean? But yo, the fuzz soup dumpling, woo! That went viral on Facebook. Yo, that, 
when that video came out on, I think it was Thrillist. Yeah. Mm, we sold so many the next day, and we 86'd it. <gasps> what the fuck is that? Oh, like, right now, yeah. right now, right now, right now. Because we didn't okay. expect it, you know? Yeah. And we're like, I had to tell the dim sum chef, I work with a very talented dim sum, uh, dim sum chef named Sherry. Yeah. Um, you can catch her on my Instagram once in a while. She's, hey. she's, she's great. Um, I told her we got to, I'm like, we got to double up. up on the prep. Mm. The pars are double now. Mm. So. so when that, because the, these videos I think are so hot right now, because people, you know, love food. How, how, did you guys specifically push that dish, or was that something that Thrillist kind of caught on? No, they caught on. Oh. So this idea was Dale's idea for soup oh. dumpling. Mm. It's, I mean, it's my recipe. Yeah, like I, I was the one that recipe tested and executed the dish, but that was all him, his that idea, was his vision. Yeah. Right, so right. and it's crazy because like I would have never thought of that in my life. But like, if you think about it, it just makes perfect sense. It does, right? It's right. like, mm. oh my god! It's like you love spa uh, for its soup, mm -hmm. and soup dumpling is always known for being like a little bit salty, a little bit more greasy. But if you could make clear broth for the yo, that shit is just fucking it, bong bong. Yeah. You know what I mean? Bong bong. What's bong? Yo, what's that? What is that? Bong uh, bong. Yo, man, it's just bong, it's just the bong, way of life. Bong <laughs> bong. Yo, shout out bong to Rizza. You know what I mean? It's bong um, bong. Bong bong. You know Bon bon. But it was so good. Like, uh -huh. it tastes like it's, you know, because it can get so gimmicky. Like, because mm. a lot of people will just, like, remix things now after, like, the Corona. But it was, mm, yeah. it was good. So, yo, is there anything you want to add for now in terms of uh, Jay's illustrious life? Um, what? Because this is, like, a restaurant that came from, like, the ground. Yeah. Uh, like, at what stage can you deem a restaurant to be a success? Mm. Right? That's a Damn, good question. That's a really good question. And yeah. I don't to I mean, my in my humble opinion, I think a restaurant that makes it makes like makes that one year mark kind of shows like you made it a little bit. Like every year counts big time. You know, I think a restaurant that's been around for five plus years is like you made it. You know, you're sustaining. You're you're relevant. People you're staying open because you're still making money. So I think that's a good indicator. Mm. Yeah, mm. I would say five years. Got you. Yeah, is there a restaurant in New York City that you're just like, damn, I wish I like, I want to emulate this or? Yeah, um, Momofuku Sambar. I mm. ate there with. Uh, I ate there like years ago when I, when I was a, uh, when I was a sous chef at uh, Tribeca Canvas for my birthday, mm. and it was a great meal then. But I, it was greater when I ate there um, last month. Um, when I, w I went there with Dale Talde, and we basically ate the entire menu. And the, sh the chef they have there now named Max, Chef Max, like really, like kind of took this, took a restaurant that's been existing and kind of breathed new life into it. So when I ate the food there, I was like, holy shit, like I gotta. Step my like, shit up. Yeah, I was inspired to do, to work harder and right. kind of focus more and, you know, and keep going. So, uh, what are some of the next steps for uh, Rice and Gold? Um, next step is, you know, just tweaking and just making it, making it better. Just, not, when I say better, just, you know, trying to fit in the neighborhood more, you know, because we stick out like a sore thumb and not in the greatest way, I feel like, because people that come to Chinatown, you don't come here to like spend a lot of money. You know what I mean? It's like you, you go to eat a, beef noodle soup for like $6. You get some cheap dim sum. 
you know, we have meetings, like management ownership meetings. It's kind of like what's working and what's not, you know, trying to make it more accessible for people in the in the neighborhood. Uh, so yeah, you know, just constantly evolving, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. better good. ourselves. Yeah. So rice and gold, yes, but what about for you? I feel like chefs are having such a moment and their personalities themselves, like they have agents themselves and they're like the culture ambassadors, like, you know, like Uncle Tony. Like, is that something in your horizon or are you more interested in like the craft um, rather than the media I mean, Well, I don't understand the question. So you know how like chefs become like personalities themselves like yeah. in okay. media, right? But then, you know, are you more so about just like the craft and like sticking to this or do you have interest in maybe um, going out there as your own brand as um, like a lot of chefs are doing now? If it sticks and people, and if I'm interesting enough, maybe it will, maybe I, that's what I, I don't want to do something that I'm not good at or like that I'm not destined to do. I don't want to force it, you know? So, you know, I'm just going with the flow and if if it sticks, uh, you know, it's something definitely to you know think about, but my goal is definitely to like have my own business it's like, you know, one day. Got you. Um, what's like one significant relationship that you've had? Um, it's any relationship. It doesn't have to be love oriented. Um, with Shik Young, I would say. With Shik Young. Yeah. Shik An. Shik An. He's the regional regional manager for Morimoto right now. He's been with Morimoto for years. Like this guy really sticks it out. He, you know, he's instilled like a new like sense of uh, work ethic in me. Kind of like, yo, you, you're in management now. Your work mode doesn't shut off when you step out the door. You better check your emails, young bo. You know, like <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, so, um, you know, I still talk to him now, and he's he's made a big impact in in my career. I would say, uh. yeah. you know, just because you know, like, I. You know, being the oldest child, I need an older brother figure. You right, know what I mean? Right. And I think he's that figure to me. So I, yeah, I agree with that one thousand, man. I'm the older child as well. Yeah, it's good Same. to have like that young shit. Yeah. You know or the unni shit. Yeah, <laughs> like to have like somebody to check you when you, yeah, when yeah, you yeah. need. Yeah. When and you like, need guidance. Yeah. yeah. And when you go to him, it's like you're frustrated and you gotta vent out. He'll hear you out. And, yeah. And they give you the you know yeah. like a, a some sort of a solution. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what's up, man. Um. What is like one mantra that you would like to share with anybody out there? Yeah. Um, damn, I haven't really thought about that one, but. Um, but it's like, what's something that like you kind of tell yourself every day? I don't even know if this is a mantra, but like, you know, you're never gonna be the best you can strive to be, but there's always gonna be someone that's not as good as you, but there'll always be someone that's better than you, always. Mm. So. There's always going to be someone not as good as you, but there's always going to be someone that's better than you. Ooh, it's kind of <laughs> tight. I like that, man. I fucks with that. Yeah. Anything you want to add, Joanne? Um, yeah, I think it, it, this conversation is kind of have, making me self-reflect of like how, because I've been feeling a little comfortable just a little bit in my job, and I think this is kind of getting me excited. I heard a great quote that said, um, comfort is the opposite of progress. And 
I, I think this really, you kind of embody all of that. So I'm really excited for everyone to hear this episode. This is so wonderful. We yeah. had more than five minutes of <laughs> nah, for sure, the amazing day. Nah, for sure, man. And yo, like I like to say, man, not just because you, you're my friend and all of that, but <laughs> yo, like it's, it's I, I know, I know, I know fools that went to like CIA and shit, like that graduated, can't fucking get a job. Like, you know, some, a lot of them are like international students too. They go back to Korea or Japan, China or wherever they from. And you know, like, some of them like are from priv- like they're they're from uh, for lack of a better term more of a privileged background and you know they get their restaurants opened up because of like family money or some investment or whatever and them motherfuckers don't really last like that man you know what i mean so i know like yo for you to like don't have that type of background for you to like really start it from the bottom like to like self-made man take it mm-hmm. to like an executive position at a at a restaurant at like a at a very good restaurant in a in a heavily dominated market like new york city i know that shit is not easy so like yo salutes to you salutes to your team you know y'all motherfuckers make sure to check out rice and gold before he goes somewhere else again yeah. man <laughs> yeah. follow them on ig this guy this guy jumps around a lot so you know, catch him when you can you know what i mean <laughs> Young Vegabond over here. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. You guys have to check it out if you get a chance. Mm. Anything else you want to add, Jay? Um, I just want to say, you know, uh, for like the future generation of chefs, you know, it's a different world now. You know, I think I was stuck in my old ways, aggression, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that's going to get you in trouble. You know, always never get stuck in your ways. Always, always listen. When, uh, when you're when your superior is like giving you advice and giving you some advice like you know listen to them because I'm, I'm very very stubborn you know I feel like a lot of people are stubborn out there too so you know if you don't listen you ain't gonna make it just always better yourself and accept accept when you make mistakes because if you can't then you you know you're never gonna evolve yeah yeah man simple but impactful yeah, I mean. Yeah, so always listen, uh, especially to me, Jakey. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. All right, man, there's another Thanks, episode Jakey. of 699 Per Pound Podcast. This episode, once again, was hosted by Jakey Cho and... Jojo. And mixed master, sound engineer by the homie Marcus Epic Pleasure, ham hard as a motherfucker. Um, yo, another shout out to Julie Young, the co-producer. And then, yo, we have uh, another person who's in the studio with us my boy ken you know what i mean he's over here just been helping out you know what i mean just observing learning young grasshopper over here so yo shout out to everybody for listening man rate us download us fucking like us follow us on instagram and all of that man. shout out peace 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 peace, peace. hey yo it's 699 per pound podcast